Hello and welcome to the Idiot Book Nook. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are they, them. I am the Reading Dragon and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them, today is a she day. Excellent. She, yeah, you, you know what I mean. And I'm Critter Shy. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. Today's a her day. We're getting into chapter 12 and the final chapter of The Thief from the Queen's Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner. But before we do, today's a day, absolutely, Ferret. Um, before we get into that, if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You'll be able to find links to all of our podcast shit, all of our individual links. Uh, you'll be able to find links to the Twitch, to the YouTube, um, what have you. It's all listed there. Tell me, how are we feeling about the book? I want to see where it happens next. <laughs> I, I too, but I'm kind of sad because this means it's the last chapter of this book. Yeah, but of this book... Of this, of like, it's the last chapter of this book, but there are more books to be had because this is like, oh god, how many books are there now? Almost eight, nine books in this series? Oh, that's quite hefty. We also have enough books on our list that we'll never run out of reading material, just saying, especially at the yeah. rate that we're going, we'll probably die of old age first. Probably. Are we going to be like 80 years old and still like on Twitch? reading these books and being like dragon dragon it's your turn wake up nap times after session <laughs> basically yep i love it on that note narrator are you ready i think so <laughs> take it away there was a ledge on the far side of the bridge at the back of it a squat tower defended a gate that closed off a cleft in the cliff face. The gate was open, and the soldiers were scattered around three different fires in front of it, playing dice, sleeping, doing whatever soldiers do when they are off duty. There are only two guards posted at the bridge, and they were sitting on the stone pilings at the end. They didn't see us until we arrived almost at their feet, and for a moment all they could do was stare. Then they smirked. Then they both jumped down, and one planted his spear beside us, looking suddenly crisp and military, while the other guard ran to find his captain. No one said a word while we waited. Around the fires, the soldiers didn't even look up from their dice game. When the captain arrived, he didn't have much more to say than his guards. While he looked us over, I leaned on Sophos, and Damagus supported us. The captain shook his head. To the Magus, he said, Welcome to Addis. Then he turned to his lieutenant, who had come up behind him. Get horses, he said succinctly. And four or five guards to take them. This is not for us to figure out. Get up on the bridge where you belong. He said to the two guards, and they scrambled, scrambled to the top of the arch bridge and looked on out over the moon. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to start that over. <clears throat> he said to the two guards, and they scrambled to the top of the arched bridge and looked out over the moonlit plain from there. 
You three can follow me. He said to us and crooked his finger in our direction. A few soldiers in the camp noticed the movement by the bridge, and heads began to turn. The signs of relaxation disappeared, and the soldiers suddenly became professionals, eager and suspicious. By the time the lieutenant returned with five men and six small horses, the hoofbeats that the Magus had heard had been heard by the guards as well and reported to the captain. That will be the Aetolian guards, said the Magus. He might have expected to be handed over right then. I'll deal with them. The captain said to the, to the lieutenant, You take care of these. He waved a disgusted hand in our direction, then signaled to more of his guards to attend him. He tramped away. Horses were mounted with a lot of jingling and thumping, and a beefy soldier tugged Sophos out from under my arm, taking him by the elbow and the seat of his pants. He swung him onto a horse. Somebody took my elbow, intending to do the same thing, but as they tugged, I swiveled around and sagged to my knees. Uh, you're muted. No, I'm not. Oh, you were on push to talk. No. Oh, well, we couldn't hear you. My mic hates me sometimes. Stop! Don't do that! Shouted Sophos, his voice breaking as he struggled to get down from the horse. The beefy soldier held him pinned and told him to calm down. The man holding my arm looked a little closer at my face and suggested someone get a blanket. Then they they fetched a warm. Then they fetched, the one they fetched, was warm from lying next to the fire. They wrapped me in it and then lifted me up gently onto the lieutenant's arms. As the horses crossed under the bridge, under the gate, I saw carved griffins overhead, and then I think I fell asleep. I dreamt of rock walls moving past on either side, and heard in my sleep the crashing of pony hooves as they climbed the stone roadway that ran up the cleft of the mountains, cut by the Arachtus before its path had changed. When we reached the palace, the main courtyard was lit by lanterns, but most of the windows were dark. It was long past midnight. Everyone climbed off his horse, and two men helped me to the ground. After that, there was a lot of hemming and hawing, and no one really knew what to do. Sophos came and tucked himself under my good shoulder. The Magus stood beside us. All the others sidled a little farther away, as if they were afraid our troubles might be contagious. Finally, someone opened the double doors that led to the entrance hall, and we trooped in. The clatter of boots on the marble floors announced our arrival to anyone who hadn't heard the noise in the courtyard. Servants and onlookers appeared at the heads of two staircases. Lights were still burning in the lesser throne room, and the great knot of us moved in that direction. The people on the stairs were sucked down in our wake, and by the time we'd left the dark entrance hall a crowd and crowded into the doorway of the brightly lit throne room, I felt like the center of a circus on the move. All we needed was dancing bears. At first, all I could see of the room was the walls near the ceiling, where the mountain swallows were painted, swooping and diving. But a series of stairs led into the room, 
and as the people ahead of me stepped down, I could see where the lower walls were stained dark red, and two gold griffins lay, one on either side of the throne. The throne was empty. At the raised earth in front of, of it, a group of women had been sitting and talking, and two of them had been playing chess. By, the, by far, the least attractive of the women stood up. She had black hair, like Atolia, and her gown was red velvet. But there, all similarities between her and the lowland queen ended. The queen of Edis tended to stand like a soldier. The ruffles on her shoulders made her arms seem long enough to reach to her knees, and her nose had been broken and had re-knitted crooked. Her hair was cut short like a man's, and curled so much over her simple silver crown that the crown itself was nearly invisible. She located the lieutenant who'd brought us in, and demanded an explanation of him. Unable to hear her over the babbling of so many people, he shrugged apologetically. She raised one hand and croaked an eyebrow at the crowd. The room fell quiet. The soldiers around the Magnus, Sophos, and me stepped hastily aside. Once the queen saw us, she dropped her hand. Oh. She said in irritation and perfect understanding. It's you, Eugenides. I looked Hi! Down. I looked down at my dust-covered feet. I was tired, and I felt as light as a cloud that might blow away across the sky at any moment. I didn't even have the strength to feel chagrin at embarrassing my queen and staunchest defender once again by providing a spectacle for the entire court of Edis. I'd never been so happy to hear my own name. Demagus, I noted, was not surprised by the greeting. I was a little annoyed because I had wanted to see his jaw drop. I had to satisfy myself with Sophos's surprise. He was gaping in a heartwarming way, and hope that the Magus didn't know all of my secret. Down the steps. Down I was the... oh, sorry. I whispered in Sophus's ear as I nudged him forward. While he helped me, the people on either side moved even further away. Not sure whether the queen's irritation might spill over to them. They needn't have worried. I had disappeared months before without her approval, but she and a few of her ministers must have guessed why, and if she was angry at me, it was only because she'd been worrying. With my good hand, I reached under the braid at the base of my neck to free the thong that tied it there. It was the shorter of the two that Pole had given me on the banks of Arrakis. One-handed, I could easily get the knot undone, and several strands of my own dark hair came with the thong as I, when I pulled it free. I glanced back briefly at the Magus and was delighted to see his mouth open in astonishment. Jen, he said under his breath, you viper. Above the queen's extended palm, I held Emmythe's gift. It had hung hidden in my hair since I braided it there after the first fighting in the Sea of Olives, 
As soon as I'd seen the riders attacking, I'd move my horse, never far away from the Magus's, until I could cut the thong around his neck with my penknife. I'd stolen the first or second day out of prison. He'd been too distracted to notice, and had assumed later, as I'd known he would, that the thong had been sliced by a sword stroke, and that the gift had dropped into the stream. It swung from the hit's leather loop for a moment, such a little boring river stone, but no one in the room doubted its authenticity. The precisely cut runes of Ephestia's mark swung first towards me and then away. The sapphire hidden in the stone caught the light, and the carved letters seemed to hover, bright blue, in the air. I had a speech to make. I'd worked it up on the way down the mountain to Sunis, and had practiced it over and over in the king's prison. But I couldn't remember any of it, and besides, I was too tired. That I'd carried Hamaiti's gift to my queen was all that kept me going from the Aetolian stronghold to the top of the mountains. The moment I released the snow, the stone, darkness, rushed in. I leaned forward to the floor without saying anything. I slept for a long time, untroubled by visions of the gods, and when I woke, I was in my own bed. I brushed my hand back and forth across the soft sheets. They were as fine as anything sold in Sunis, because all of Sunis's best linens were woven in Edis. At my feet, the footboard was carved with scenes of first fir trees against the skyline of the sacred mountains, and when I turned my head, I could see the sacred mountains themselves through the windows. They rose up in all directions, safely hemming me in. I remembered the story that said Hephaestia had made the valleys and the mountains for her chosen people, and I wondered if it was true. Having seen the gods, I continued to doubt all of the stories I'd heard about them. If the gods were incarnations of the mountains and rivers around us, or whether they drew their power from those sources, I couldn't say. They had power greater than any mortal, and if that power was enough to change the face of the earth, I didn't want to know. I only hoped that they would hear my prayers from a distance, accept my offerings, and not trouble my dreams again. Hamite's gift was more burden than blessing, and I was glad to be free of it. I lay and admired the view for a while before realizing that there were people talking quietly in the library, which was separated by an open doorway from the room. Sorry, and which was separated by an open doorway from the room and was both my bedroom and study. I turned my head to listen better. The Magus was talking with my queen. I heard him address someone as minister and thought that probably meant minister of war. So is this, is this the Magus? think so? I think so. Okay. We deliberately made the king's message to you as vague as possible, so Jin may have ho hoped to find the stone in our possession. 
when he couldn't find it or any reference to it in my papers, I believe he decided to make a reputation for himself, not just as a thief, but as a Sunesian one. He mentioned an Edesian mother in the forged court records to explain his dark coloring and any trace of an accent that he couldn't hide. And when he ragged about his abilities to perform some outstanding feat that would have come to my attention, he could only have hoped that it would occur to me that I needed a proficient but anonymous thief whose absence from the city wouldn't be noticed. He couldn't have known that the man he bragged to in the wine shop was in fact my spy. I hadn't known, and I'd almost laughed out loud when the Magus mentioned it outside the temple. The gods must have arranged it. I don't know how he would have gone out of the prison on his own, said the Magus. It seems a foolhardy plan to have relied on my intervention. I am a master of foolhardy plans, I thought. I have so much practice, I consider them professional skills. Sooner or later, they would have needed the cell and the chains for someone more important. The minister of the exchequer, for instance, and I would have been moved to another cell. Sooner or later, I would have had my chance to escape. If I hadn't died of disease for... He could have found the whereabouts of the stone from the papers in my study. The Magus went on. I was careful to destroy any records, but he could have followed us and stolen the gift once it was located. The Minister of War snorted. Not if he had to follow you on a horse, he said. <clears throat> the Queen laughed, and I flushed in the privacy of my bedroom. I do hate horses. That was the first sign that I wasn't going to be the soldier my father hoped for. The Magus might have heard me thinking. He does have other skills to be proud of, he said. For instance, I thought, stealing Hamithi's gift not only once, but twice. Who else in history had done that? But the Magus referred to the fight with the Queen's Guard at the, mountain, at the base of the mountain. That wasn't a skill I appreciated much. If I... If I'd been as inept with a sword as I was in a saddle, my father might not have driven me so hard to be a soldier, and to let the title of King's Thief lapse forever. It had been meaningless for so many generations, and he'd felt strongly that it should disappear for good. The Magus described the fighting with the guard in detail, and made me look very good indeed. The Minister of War snorted. The Magus didn't recognize this as high praise, and he said stiffly, Magus. that his father wanted him to be a soldier, I'd be happy to inform his father that he has a son to be proud of. I stifled a snort of my own in the silence that followed. The Magus must have still been tired. He must have once known, but forgotten, that the Minister of War had married the daughter of the previous King's Thief. He was talking to my father. The Magus might have remembered this, 
might have recognized me from the first time he'd seen me in Sunis, but we had never been introduced. When he'd come with Sunis's marriages proposals, I had been sulking in my rooms. While the Magus, realizing his error, was trying to word an apology, my father came to look at, at me. I thought I heard you laughing up your sleeve, he said. Hi, Dad. <laughs> one, arm, one arm was too tightly wrapped in bandages to move, but I held up the other to demonstrate that there was nothing up the sleeve of my nightshirt but my elbow. I'll come by later. Before he disappeared from the doorway, he nodded once. And that, I knew, would be his only sign of approval for all my hard work. He was not a man of many words. After years spent trying to dissuade me from wasting my time acquiring valueless skills, he had come to my study one night to tell me why the Queen of Edis would consider a marriage proposal from Sunis, and why her council, including himself, urged her to accept. He'd left a stack of double-heavy coins on the table and gone away. A moment later, the Magnus appeared in the doorway, closely followed by Sophos. I'm glad to see you looking better, he said. I looked at him out of the corner of my eye. He smiled. I've decided not to give you the satisfaction of... Noshing? Gnashing. Gnashing my teeth. <laughs> I laughed. While he looked around the room for a chair to sit in. That one is most comfortable. I lifted my hand out from under the sheets to point. He sat down and put his feet up on a stack of books. We both remembered an earlier interview. I'll probably have to burn it. I said. Oh no, he said. I've had days to get clean. Days? I said. Sophos was still hovering. Push the books off the window seat. I told him. And sit there. Has it really been days? It has. What have I missed? Not much said the Magus. An emissary from the Queen of Atolia, a few from Sunus, well, four from Sunus. Four? The Magus shrugged one shoulder in an elegant gesture of boredom. Tell me, I said, or I'll get up and strangle you with one hand. What did the messages say? Oh, I believe the, that Atolia sends best wishes that the Queen's thief is well and hopes that she will have a chance to entertain him for a longer period sometime in the future. I grimaced at the thought. She knew who you were? She must have strongly suspected. We'd only met very briefly, but she knows my reputation better than you did. She'll be plotting an elaborate revenge, said the Magus. And you? Am I planning an elaborate revenge? No, 
I hadn't been able to think of anything adequate. I laughed again. <laughs> I meant, did you suspect? The Magus sighed. No, not at all. At least not until you were able to make a bridge suddenly appear across the Serapicia. Then I, the Perchia. Then I started to think it wasn't an accident that I lost my way in the dark in the town. And I wondered if maybe the guards at the stone bridge recognized you. They seemed to have taken your appearance very much in stride. I wasn't sure, certain, until the captain welcomed to us, me to Edis, as if you belonged there, and had brought Sophos and me as guests. That other bridge, did you know it had, it would go, the, the, that other bridge, did you know it would be there? I go down every year after the floods have dropped and lodge a tree trunk there. My grandfather and I used to do it when he was alive. He liked to have a way to get into Atolia without being seen coming from Edis. All new, said Sophos from the window. Yes, the Magus agreed. When we watched you fighting with Sophos's sword, he whispered to me that you were Edisian trained. I didn't understand what he was trying to tell me until later. Cole had known before then, I was sure. He'd known from the moment I carelessly thanked him, in my own words, for the Ossoberries, if he hadn't been pressed by the Aetolians, and if he hadn't been so sure that the gift had dropped in the stream, he wouldn't have let me out of his reach without searching me first. The fact that he hadn't told the Magus what he knew made me think that he expected me to slip away once we were in the mountains and that he would have to let me go. His orders were to keep Sofo safe, and to bring back the gift. Bringing back the Queen's Thief to Edis hadn't been mentioned, I'm sure, and Paul must have, must not have seen any reason to overreach his orders. I think he liked me as much as I like him. Paul was good guy. We miss Paul. Um, Ambiades might have guessed. I said. He and I exchanged our information involuntarily beside the dystopia. I had realized that Ambiades was working for someone besides the Magus, and he had realized that it would take one fraud to recognize another. The Magus shook his head. Ambiades was clever. It's too bad he was a fool, too. Always wanting more money and more power, more respect. He would have made a fine Magus if he could have stopped being the grandson of a duke. For a moment, we sat quietly, thinking our own thoughts about ambition. I thought about Pole, who had seemed to be quite free of it, and I hoped he'd gotten some satisfaction pushing Ambites over the edge of that cliff. All in all, I wish I could have done it myself. Finally, the Magus said, To think that once I beat the Queen's thief with a horse crop. I smiled and had to tell him that beating the Queen's thief wasn't a rare honor. It's not. Oh, 
Oh, is everyone on the mountain as skilled as you are with a sword? Ah, but I don't use a sword. I explained that I hadn't held a sword in the two years since I'd torn my enrollment papers in the Isian Guard. During an argument with my father, I'd sworn, in front of an embarrassing number of people, not to take a sword by the hilt unless my life was in danger. Ah, said the Magus, as if many things had grown more clear, I wondered whom he'd been talking to. You're tired, he said after a moment, and he was right. We'll go. Wait. I said. You haven't told me what Sonus said in his messages. The Magus shook his head. You'll have to ask your queen that, he said. I followed his gaze to where the queen had been standing for, and I didn't know how long. She was wearing a green short silk dress. Shot. That... What? Green shot silk oh, dress. Oh, green shot. Sorry. What did I say? Short. Short. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> she was wearing a green shot silk dress that squeezed her under the arms and made her look like a pinhead, like a peahen dressed up in her smaller husband's clothes. My brother, Temenus had broken her nose with a practice sword when they were eleven, and the resulting bump had given her a comfortably settled plainness that was more attractive than all Atolia's beauty. But she didn't know that, and often felt that she let her people down by not being more pretty. In her five-year reign, she'd won the loyalty and love of her subjects. They thought she was beautiful. I told her and they would be just as happy to see her in a sack as in an elaborate costumes her dressers liked to bully her into. She twitched her lip at me to remind me that she felt she had responsibility to be opulent if she couldn't be beautiful. I frowned because my good advice had obviously been forgotten while I'd been away. The Magus offered an apology for wandering away in the middle of their conversation, but she waved it aside. Then sat on the bedside, on the bed beside me, and squeezed my hand. I think you need more rest, she said. First, I need to know what the emissaries from Sonus said. Eugenides, you're tired. I'll get up, I threatened. And find someone else to tell me. She gave in. I'd known she would. She wouldn't have come in and sat down otherwise. The first was just a stiff note to say that Sunus had removed his men from the forest on the southern slopes of Mount Urkas. Er uh, Who tried to sneak an army through the fir forest? Yes. <sighs> I rolled my head back in contempt. The idiot. See what he does when his magus doesn't isn't there to stop him? Did you set fire to the trees? The queen shook her head. No, it wasn't necessary. I sent a note with your cousin Crotes telling him to get his men out by sunset or we'd burn the forest to the ground. The Magus's face paled at the thought of his country's entire army burnt to ash. The second emissary was more polite. 
the queen continued, settling back against my cushions. The king of Sunus requested any information we had on the whereabouts of the well uh, and well-being of his magus and his heir. The magus's heir? Oh, no, wait. No. The magus's heir? I asked. Uh, the king's heir. I looked at Sophos. Your father, the duke, is also the king's brother? You didn't know? He said. I did not. The queen laughed. With one move, she said, You have secured my throne and brought me the heir of my enemy. The court is greatly impressed. It would be the first time for most of them, I thought. I believe, she said, I will extract a few concessions from Sunus before I send his nephew home. She smiled at Sophos, and he blushed as he smiled back. She had that effect on most people, not just Sophos. A smile from her made anyone's blood warmer. There was good reason for the Magus to want her as queen of his own country. But now it is time to go. The queen said, lifting herself off my cushions. She bent down to kiss my forehead as she freed her hand from mine, and I noticed MIT's gift swinging from the gold torque around her neck. As she stood, it settled back against her skin, just below the collarbone. Two days later, long before I was ready to participate, there was an official ceremony to make my cousin queen by possession of MIT's gift. Evidently, just handling, just handing her the stone didn't satisfy a lot of stuffy conventions. My father's dresser came and helped me struggle into a fancy clothes. I wandered through the ceremony in a haze and managed a perfunctory appearance at the banquet afterwards. My cousins made their usual thinly veiled insults. My aunts looked down their noses at me and my uncles casually insulted me by remarking how surprisingly like my father I was turning out to be, as opposed to my mother's rather ne'er-do-well side of the family. I couldn't seem to stir up any of my usual cutting comments, comments in response. I was discreet, I suppose. Really, I didn't care. And I see now that it amounts to the same thing. I went to bed. My fever climbed in the night, and my constant companions were the doctor and his assistants for the next week or so. I remembered the queen coming to me on one night to offer me my tea's gift, but I told her I preferred to die. I'd had enough of my tea's gift, and its rumored powers to confer immortality. There's something horrible and frightening, and I discovered very, very painful about being trapped in this life, when it is time to move on. She nodded wordlessly to me, as if she already understood. It may have been a dream. When I finally felt better, I remained confined to my bed by the Queen's physician. I had attended the ceremony against his vehement opposition, and he was feeling vindicated and authoritarian. He warned me that if I set a foot on the floor, he'd cut it off. I said that I thought the followers of 
Ascaliopos took an oath to do no harm, to harm no one. He said he'd make an exception for me. Finally, negotiations had been settled between Sunus and Edis. A new treaty had been drawn up. Some compensation had been paid to the treasury of Edis, and the Magus and the Queen's heir were going King's home. King's Yes, sorry. The King's heir were going home. They worked their way to the past the physician in order to say goodbye. Set myself... I set myself up in bed as they came in. Magus. I greeted him with a nod. Your Highness. I noted to Sophos as well. He blushed. Was it because your mother was the queen? Oh, wait. No. Me. That is Magus. Was it because your mother was the queen's thief that you were called Eugenides? Partly. It's closer to the truth to say that Eugenides is a family name, and I was named after my grandfather. But my mother, you know, was never the queen's thief. She died before my grandfather did, and I inherited the title directly from him. Called it, he's a fucking descendant. People called your mother queen's thief. Said Sophos, puzzled. At least, I've heard them say that. I smiled. She was a favorite at the court, and was called Queen Thief, but not Queen Thief. They said she stole people's hearts away. She certainly stole their jewels and wore them herself, or sometimes dedicated them. She liked to take the things that people were most proud of. So if you flaunted your new emeralds, you were likely to see them next on Eugenides' altar. And once dedicated, they were irretrievable. People were careful not to offend her. They learned not to offend me, either. Sophos started to say, Your mother, did she? And then stopped when he realized what he was asking. Fall out of a window when I was ten? Yes. But not out of the Baron Durakthi's villa. She's been... She'd been dancing on the roof of the palace and slipped coming back in. Sophos was quiet for a moment, looking for a safer subject. At last, he blurted out, When do you think you'll get married? <laughs> I suppose it depends on when I find someone to marry? I said, puzzled. Well, you know. He floundered again. I looked at him, perplexed. He was blushing. I looked at the Magus to see if he knew what Sophos was hinting at, but he didn't. I finally had to ask. Sophos, what do you mean? <laughs> you marry the queen? Aren't you a favorite of hers? And isn't she queen because of you? She's fond of me, Sophos. But... That's because most of the rest of her cousins are morons. I'm very fond of her for the same reason, but I don't think I can make her queen and then insist she marry me as a return favor. The sovereign is not supposed to marry the thief. The possibility doesn't often arise and... 
I hesitate as I as I watch the Magus. There are always political advantages to be considered when a sovereign marries. Edis might still form an alliance with Sunis, although our queen would marry their king over my dead body. Jen? Sophil started to ask another question, but I interrupted her. No. I said. Eugenides. From now on, I never, never want to hear Jen again in my life. The Magus laughed while I shook my head. You haven't spent any time in the king's prison, I said. And you haven't had to drink your way through every disreputable wine shop in the city of Sonus. I cannot tell you how sick I have been of cheap wine and of being dirty, of talking with my mouth half-closed and chewing with it open, of having bugs in my hair and being surrounded by people who think Archimedes was the man at the circus last year who could balance four olives on his nose. The Magus looked around at the books piled in my study. I remember that, Archimedes. I think it was five olives, he said with a straight face. Not that you're salty or anything. <laughs> I don't care if it was twelve, I said. The Magus rubbed his hand across the carefully bound copy of the second volume of Archimedes. It was on top of the stack beside him. You should have a few more modern writers. He said. Edis has been isolated too long. I'll send a few volumes with the next diplomatic party. I oh. thanked him, both of us thinking of the threat of Mendes. Who will Sonus marry now? I asked. I don't know. The Magus admitted. You could always ask Atolia. I suggested. He rolled his eyes and left, taking Sophos with him. I was left to myself then, to luxuriate in my cotton sheets and to recover my strength. I made the reluctant physician bring me the books from my library to check on the dating on the pillars outside the maze entrance. They were unlike anything I could find recorded, and I came to believe that Hamite's gift had been hidden in the temple under the Erectus by every generation for hundreds of generations before the invaders had arrived on our shores and had been removed by each successive generation only with the gods' approval. If you want to keep something safe from thieves, hide it carefully and keep a close watch over it. My father visited often, but briefly. On one visit, he mentioned that Sophos had spent his days in the palace pointing a, to one cousin after another that my tedious vow about handling a sword had been honorably retired. Several people did stop in to see me and to comment how much I'd grown to look like my father, and not at all, and not all of them seemed insincere. Maybe in the future my aunts and uncles would be willing to overlook the fact that I read too many books and can't ride a horse, sing a song in tune, or carry on polite conversation. 
all accomplishments that are supposed to be more highly valued than swordplay, but aren't. When the queen came by, she told me that the resemblance to my father was all in the way we both hunched over and then denied that we were in pain. I tried to insist that my shoulders didn't really bother me and that it was time for me to be up. She laughed and went away. After another week, when I was finally out of bed and resting in a chair, she came to visit and stayed longer than a minute or two. The evening sun was slipping around the shoulder of the Ephestia mountain and filling the room with orange light. Sophos went to see your family shrine to Eugenides, she said. He admired all the earrings you've dedicated, particularly the Duchess Alenia's Cabochon emeralds. Someone must have told him how angry the Duchess had been when I'd stolen them, so to speak, right from under her nose. I suspect it was the Queen. I admitted that I was that it was a little embarrassing to have him admire offerings to a god I hadn't previously believed in. I know. She said. We both looked at the gift, turning turning over and over in her hands. Will you go on wearing it? I asked. <sighs> I couldn't stand it, I think. She said. Wait, hold on. Um, yeah. Where will you put it if you take it off? The temple was gone. It couldn't be returned there. She was quiet for a long time. I'm going to take it up to the sacred mountain and throw it into Hephaestus' fire. You'll destroy it? She was shocked. No, I was shocked. Background noise. Yes, I'll take witnesses from here and from Sonus and Atolia as well. And when it is gone, Edis's throne will descend in the same way as the thrones of other countries. She looked up at me. Moira told me. I nodded, remembering the messenger of the gods in her long white peplos. It wasn't meant to go on forever and ever, she said quietly. It doesn't belong in this world. In a hundred years, no one will believe it was real. I said. But you'll still be famous. Are you going to dazzle your Oh, I don't know. I said. Lately, fame had become a lot less important to me. Nami. I'll take over her voice. Yes, you will. She said. Because you're going to write it all down, and it'll be in a book in your library. But first, you'll tell me everything. She said. The things the Magus didn't know. It was a relief to explain everything to her, to tell her about the prison and about the temple and what I'd thought of the Magus in the beginning 
and what I thought of him in the end, what it meant to be the focus of the gods' attention, to be their instrument, used to change the shape of the world. And it was nice to brag a little, too. It took me many days, in the scratches of time she stole from royal functions and meetings with her ministers, but she wanted to tell me her everything, and I did. In the months since then, I have written it down. I will show it to her. I will show it to her soon and see what she thinks. Maybe I will send a copy down to the Magus. I can take it. So I think the first one was the queen. Or is that the first one? I'll, so I'll take Jen, and then you take Queen. No, I, I, I can still do Jen. Uh, first line is, um, is the queen. the queen. Yeah. So, Sophos thinks you're going to marry me. Well, I think you'll marry Sophos. I might. We'll see what he's like when he grows up. I thought your council wanted you to marry that cousin of Atolia's. No, that was just because he might have been better than Sunus. Now I needn't marry either, which is fortunate for all for us all. They would have hated Edis, but Sophos? I think Sophos might be happy here. Anyone lucky enough to be married to you would count his blessings. Flatterer. Not at all. Eugenides. Yes. <clears throat> Stop biting your lip and say it. Thank you, thief. You're welcome, my queen. And thus ends... And we're done! Chapter 12 of The Thief from the Queen's Thief series by Megan Whale and Turner. And thus is done the book. Woo! Oh, son of a bitch. For the those... episode, our thought about it. We will be sharing our thoughts about it in our next episode. Bear with us. Um, but first, if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at lanktr.ee slash idiotbooknook, where you'll be able to find links to our podcast, to our YouTube, to our Twitch, all of that jazz. For this episode of the Idiot Book Nook, I'm Blaze. I'm the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And I'm Critishai. And we'll see you guys next episode. Bye!